Mary, and a blessed Christmas to all of you. And I want to share a very brief meditation uh, tonight with you on the subject of the mystery and the marvel of Christmas. Christmas is just glorious in so many ways, but with all the hustle and the bustle, with the tinsel and the lights and the gifts and the shopping and the baking and the parties, sometimes we lose sight of the mystery and the marvel of Christmas. And Matthew in his gospel tells us that story of Christmas. And as I began reading it, I was stopped at the very first verse where we read these words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. That is an amazing scripture. I know that we read the Christmas story and somehow we just get so familiar with the words that are going to be spoken by the gospel writers that we miss the truth and the profundity of what has just been said. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Do you notice with me that in juxtaposition are two words, a birth, and together with that birth, Jesus Christ. Well, we have no problem understanding birth, do we? Because a birth we understand is what happens when a newborn comes into this world after having matured from being an embryo and nine months becomes a full-grown baby. It leaves its mother's womb and it enters into this world to begin a brand new life, a life that heretofore had never been known. But when you talk about birth in the context of including Jesus Christ, then that is another story. The birth of Jesus Christ? Now we're confronted with a concept that is so utterly otherworldly because we are now combining humanity with divinity. Do we really understand what Christmas is all about? It's the story of how God, who had no beginning, God, who created the heavens and the earth, how this God became a baby. He came into this world in the exact same way that each and every one of us has come into this world. He came into this world so that he too could experience nine months of gestation in his mother's womb, developing from a microscopic cell, of course, without the help of a human father, only to enter this world that he created as a helpless infant. What an amazing thing. And so tonight, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem's manger, and as we look at that manger, understand that we are beholding divinity. We're not just seeing another baby. Eternity has entered into time, and divinity has wrapped itself in human flesh. And now the words of the Apostle John become a reality. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
just stop and think about what that verse of Scripture means. The eternal Son of God who was with the Father in the very beginning. And the Bible tells us, by him these worlds were created. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No wonder why the Apostle Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Herein, my friend, is the real meaning of Christmas. I know we've been taken up with the holiday. I know we've been taken up with all the preparation. We, we see the sights and the sounds and the glitter and the glistening of this holiday. But it's not about any of that. It's about this supernatural, incomprehensible mystery that God would become a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. And Christmas is about marveling at the majesty and the wonder of this profound mystery. It's a mystery indeed. How could the creator God become created in his mother's womb, to be born a baby, to live a life that experienced the entire gamut of human existence, but without sin. Everything that we experience, every emotion, every temptation, yet without sin, that he might become the perfect sacrifice. What a marvelous mystery. No wonder it's the theme of so many wonderful hymns that have been written that try in such a feeble way to bring forth the glory of that truth. Like the words of Charles Billingsley, who wrote that grand hymn, down from his glory, ever-living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name, born in a manger to his own a stranger a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. And I'm reminded also of the words of Robert Harkness in that beautiful hymn that we used to sing, Love sent my Savior to die in my stead. Why should he love me so? Meekly to Calvary's cross he was led. Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary to go? It was because of condescending love. Can we understand the depths of that condescending love? We, we talk about love, and it's really so superficial. Because one day we say we love someone, and the next day they offend us, and we no longer love them. We say we love things, and then our mood changes, and we no longer love those things. But God, the Son, in condescending love, he who dwelt in the heights. Can you go any higher than God Almighty? Yet the Bible tells us he descended. And the reality is nowhere better expressed than in that passage of Scripture in Philippians 2, as Paul writes, what the theologians call the kenosis. It's the 
emptying, the self-emptying of Christ. Philippians 2 and 6, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to for advantage. You know, Jesus is the antithesis of the spirit that is in the world today, a spirit of entitlement. But who was more entitled than Jesus Christ when he came to this earth? But he laid all of his entitlements aside, and the Bible tells us he emptied himself. He did it willingly, and he did it himself. I think of my life as a Christian at times, and it amazes me because sometimes I say, God, when are you going to fix this in me? And God is saying, Paul, you need to fix that in yourself. Go to the cross and die. But Jesus willingly laid aside his prerogatives. He laid aside his self-glory that he could walk this earth as a man what we want God to do for us, he's telling us that we need to do for ourselves. May we follow the example of Jesus and become what he became, a servant. Why are we born-again Christians? To serve God, to serve his kingdom, to allow him to be Lord over our lives, that he calls the shots. Jesus took the form of a servant born in the likeness of men, exactly like you and me. The scripture tells us in Mark 10 and 45 that even so the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Look at his life. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. Every day that he got up, his, his goal, his passion everything that motivated him, how can I please my father, how can I do good, loving and serving and ministering, so much so that he would even stoop to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. You and I call ourselves servants because we have a position in the church. But how willing are we to serve in humility where we're willing to, in a figure of speech, wash the feet of others. Jesus, the Bible tells us, humbled himself to the point of saying yes to the will of God, which was to die on the cross. The cross, the most shameful form of death, execution on a Roman cross, being punished as a dangerous criminal, a punishment that was reserved for the vilest of sinners. Can we see tonight the depth of his condescension. He was God. He could go no higher, but he came down, down, down. In the words of that old hymn, out of the ivory palaces. We can't even imagine the glory of heaven. We can't even imagine the son of glory who was worshipped by all of the angels in heaven was willing to come to this earth to be rejected to be scorned, to be persecuted, ultimately to be nailed to the cross. But he left the ivory palaces and came into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go.
And Paul tells us, as he reminds us of this wonderful love of God in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. And so as we close tonight, we want to remember, who is that baby in Bethlehem's manger? He's Emmanuel. He is God, but he is also God with us. The more I think about that, the more I stand in amazement. It staggers my mind and my imagination. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth that God would robe himself in human flesh. And that nativity scene shouts the message of Christmas. Emmanuel, God is now with us. I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you're here with a heavy heart. Christmas tells you tonight that God is with you in your sadness. God is with you in your sorrow. God is with you in your sickness. God is with you in your financial distress. God is with you in your fears. God is with you when you're not able to sleep and worry seeks to overtake you. He wants to remind you that he is Emmanuel. Whatever you might worry about facing in 2023, we can face it confidently because God is with us. And I want to close tonight with these wonderful words by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of history's greatest preachers of all time. And I would love to imagine myself sitting in that famed metropolitan tabernacle in London when that great pulpiteer, Charles uh, Spurgeon, who could preach like none other, on the Christmas Eve of 1854, he preached on this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. And he said these words, Oh, it is one of the bells of heaven. Let us strike it again, God with us. Put me in the desert where vegetation grows not. I can still say, God with us. Put me on the wild ocean and let my ship dance madly on the waves. I would still say, God with us. Let my body dive down into the depths of the ocean. Let me hide in its caverns. Still I could, as a child of God, say, God with us. And yes, even in the grave, sleeping there in corruption, still I can see the footmarks of my Savior Jesus. He trod the path of all people and still his name is God with us. As I close tonight, I want to ask you the question, is he with you tonight? Because you're sitting in a church does not mean he's with you. He wants to be with you in an intimate and in a personal way. He wants to be with you in a way where he comes into your life. He saves your soul. He gives you a new spirit. We are all born in sin, but Jesus died on the cross to bring us new life. 
And as I close the service tonight, I just want us to bow our heads. And if there is one here, just even one, on this Christmas Eve, that you would acknowledge that you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. He was born to die that we might live. And he wants to be born into your heart tonight. He wants to be born into your soul. And if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus as your own personal Lord Savior, will you just quickly lift your hand and say, Pastor Paul, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Anyone? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, 